0: This morning, our scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter one, verses six through nine. It reads as follows: In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word to us. I have a question for you to contemplate this morning. Um, The question is, uh, where does your joy come from i pause because it is a question that we all need to contemplate in fact it's the question that that needs to be asked and answered every morning that we awake where, where is my joy going to come from today? Joy has a source, if you didn't know. For some, joy comes from solitude. So they long for the portion of the day when they will get some time by themselves where there is nobody bugging them, no emails, no phone calls. They, they get their joy, the source, the, the source of their joy comes from solitude. For others, joy is found in in money. Or the satisfaction of completing tasks. Or the comfort of relationship. Many, many look to their their children to provide their joy. So, So again, I ask you this morning, where does your joy come from? This is an important question. To ask and answer because of what the Bible commands us to do. Paul commands us in Philippians 4 and 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. God expects that his people would be joyful. And Paul says that we are not to just rejoice sometimes, but we are to rejoice always. And oh, what a difficult that command is in the midst of a sinful world. One, one I think could make a serious case that to be joyful in the world in which we live is nearly impossible. We are inundated daily with devastation of every sort. Senseless killings, greed, strife, animosity, and idolatry. Just this week, we heard uh, of of bombings being, being sent to people in the mail. Just yesterday, we were confronted with a, a, a man entering into a place of worship and senselessly killing 11 worshipers. Oh, you can easily make the case in this sinful world that, that rejoicing always is almost nearly impossible. And, and, and what I've just explained, that's just what's happening in the news. We haven't even named those joy killers that, that flood our personal lives. Wayward children, empty bank accounts, sickness, car issues. How can one rejoice in a world in the midst of with all of those things going on? But yet the command comes, rejoice. Always. Which means, which means that Paul has in mind a joy that is not rooted in shifting situations. It's a joy that's not rooted in fickle people or faulty hopes. In order to rejoice always, joy has to come from a source that never fails, that never changes, that never shifts, that never disappoints. And here is the glorious part. For Christians, that source exists. It exists. There is a deep well of joy from which the Christian can draw. The question is, are you drawing from that well for your joy or are you wasting your time at wells that are bound to run dry? Oh, Peter, Peter has drawn our attention to this well. If you were here last week, we, you, you would have drunk deeply from that well. It is, it is the well that we see that, that Peter wants us to drink from is what he described in verses 3 through 5 of First Peter chapter 1. Namely, Namely, the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. The the, the living hope that is ours. The the new birth we have experienced. The the inheritance that awaits us. Peter is rooting joy for the Christian in that which is guaranteed, that which cannot be changed. He is rooting our joy in our salvation and the inheritance. That awaits us oh and this brothers and sisters is why first Peter is one of my favorite books in the Bible because you know what Peter reminds us of as you read his letter it, he reminds us that he was with Jesus you see it all over the book you can get you just read it and you get the sense this man walked with Jesus and he didn't just walk with Jesus He listened to Jesus. What we have Peter doing here, rooting our joy in our salvation, is not something Peter came up with on his own. He got this from Jesus in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the the 72. And they go about preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And they are armed with authority to cast out demons and and to heal the sick. And to their amazement, they are experiencing some success in this task. Demons are being cast out. The the sick are being healed. And they return to Jesus. And they are exuberant. They are rejoicing. And they say, Jesus, what, what you told us to do actually worked. We went out and we were casting out demons and, and, and we were healing the sick. You should have seen us. You should have been there. And Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Brothers and sisters, joy found outside of this reality is sure to disappoint. There's only one source of joy that never fails. It is the well that, that never runs dry. It's this fact that salvation is yours. If you, are, if you are a Christian, the answer to the question, where uh, does your joy come from? The answer should be in the glories of Calvary. Jesus is saying, he said to Peter, he said to those 72, be overwhelmed, be ecstatic, rejoice in that which does not change. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Oh, Peter got this from Jesus. And so he says, in this you rejoice. In this, in this. Don't, don't, don't rejoice in your circumstances or your situations because those things change. Don't rejoice in your abilities or your successes because those abilities are sure to fade and success will soon escape you. Your joy must be found in the work of God who has chosen you, who has saved you and who is preserving you for his glory. Oh, your joy, your joy has to be it has to be found there. Because if you don't find your joy in that unshifting, unchanging reality, then the trials of this world are going to rock you. They're going to rock you. They will leave you confused. And, and, they, will, they, and they, they, they just won't make sense to you. You won't have any, any category. You won't know what to do with them. You will be discouraged just like these Christians to whom Peter is writing. It has already been noted that these Christians were facing some challenges. They were being persecuted and suffering for their faith. And so while Peter is, is is pointing them to the realities of their new identity in Christ. And while he is encouraging them to find their, their joy and to root it in uh, salvation, he, he, he's got a lesson for them. He wants to teach them. He gives them uh, four lessons on trials in order to help them persevere. Four, four lessons that Peter gives these scattered Christians on Trials, and we would do well ourselves to learn as Peter teaches us this morning. Here's the first lesson that Peter gives. Lesson one trials are sometimes necessary. Trials are sometimes necessary. If you are a Christian and are faithful to the teaching of Scripture, it will be clear to you that believers face trials. Amen. (laughs) You and I are not immune to the struggles of this world. And let's be honest. Let's be honest. Christians, rather than facing less trials, often face more trials in this world. Remember, because we live in a world that is hostile to the ways of Christ. And so to live faithfully in this world in a faithless culture is going to be difficult. We're going to come up and experience trials throughout the, our time here on earth. I believe Christians who have been faithful to reading their scriptures will get this. They will understand this reality. You understand this reality. It's not something that we, we have not shared before. But have we come to grips with the idea that trials are sometimes necessary. They are are necessary in the sense that they are part of the ordained plan of God for your life. The trials these saints were facing, the ones you and I face, were not and are not random acts of chance. They, they, They aren't, you win some, you lose some type of trials. Peter is teaching that it is necessary sometimes that Christians go through these trials. If that is a hard truth to swallow, and I'm sure it is that these trials that you face or are, are ordained by the hand of God, perhaps I can put it uh, another way. God has designed, the trials you and I face. He's designed them. They are woven into the tapestry of our lives by the hand of God. God designed Job's suffering. He designed his trials. You remember Satan came to God and and God says, have you considered my servant Job? He says, he's a faith, faithful man, blameless. You can, here's what you can do to him. You can afflict his family, his possessions, but you don't touch Job. Job's trials designed and ordained by God. And then and, and Satan comes and says, hey, hey, hey Job, I mean, hey, God, uh, Job was faithful, but that's because I didn't touch his body. He said, afflict his body, but don't take his life. The trial Job faced was ordained, orchestrated, designed by God. But he just didn't design Job's trial. He designed Peter's trial as well. Peter said, Lord, Everybody else will leave you, but I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus tells Peter that when that rooster crows three times, Peter, (laughs) you will have denied me. And not only that, Peter, Satan came to me and he asked me if he can sift you like wheat. And Jesus says, but when you turn, Peter, which means you were going to fall. He was going to sift you. Satan is going to sift you. But when you turn, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter's trials, the denying of the Lord, was ordained by God. I hope, I hope you hear this and are comforted because you do realize that if God has designed your trial, it means he is not powerless in the midst of it. Your, your suffering, your trial, the difficulty you are facing is not out of his control. If it, is, it is designed by the one, by him who loves you, who cares for you. There's, there's no comfort to have a God who is surprised by the roadblocks in our lives—if God is surprised and caught off guard in the midst of our trials—if they—if our trials surprise Him, then who do we go to when we when we're dealing? But all oh, the peace to know that in the middle of a raging storm. Our God has the ability, has the power, has the authority to cause that storm to cease with just a word. It's, it's good to know that God designs our trials. Trials, trials are sometimes necessary. But trials are also Temporary. Trials are also temporary. They're temporary. The saying, time flies when you're having fun, is very true. (laughs) I've known it to be true. Time flies when you are having fun. But it is equally true that time seems to stand still when you are struggling with a tough situation. There is an overarching Sense that, that when you are walking through the valley, that is just not ever going to end. I have counseled a many people who are struggling with their life circumstances, what the Lord is doing in their life, and no matter what. I say, no matter how hard I try to convince them, no matter how many times I say it different ways, I just cannot convince them that the situation they are going through right at this moment is just temporary, will not last forever. But I I don't say that and stand in judgment over them because I know how difficult it is to be in the pain of a situation that doesn't seem like it is ever going to end. Oh, but Peter reminds us that these trials that we endure, that Christians endure on earth, are temporary. Paul Paul, in fact, Paul calls them light and momentary afflictions in 2 Corinthians 4.17. Oh, this is hard to get. Doesn't seem like it's hard to believe, but trials are temporary. They're temporary. Pain, pain, Ridicule, sickness, discord, tears, sickness. The the reality is, the truth of the matter is, what Peter is trying to communicate here is that they don't last. These trials, the trials that you are going through, he's telling these Christians, they are only for a little while. But here is the thing. This is the important piece that we must wrap our minds around, temporary, can actually mean for a lifetime. A while may actually be for the rest of your life. That child who is wayward may never turn back while you are living. The pain that meets you every morning you awake may follow you to the grave. You may be marginalized to your last breath. Temporary can actually mean for a lifetime. Perhaps you're you're thinking, well, that that doesn't sound so temporary. (laughs) Maybe you, have, you got the definition wrong. <laughs> that doesn't sound temporary to me. Suffering in a trial for the rest of my life is not my idea of a little while. But compared to eternity, brothers and sisters, it is. It is. Our life is but a blip on the spectrum of eternity. Compared to eternity, the trials that you and I face in this life are indeed temporary. Oh, we need to look at our trials as those who have been born again to a living hope. We can really grasp that our trials are temporary. We can see that, that, that they're only for a little while then we can join the psalmist who says in Psalm 34 and 5, sing praises to the Lord. O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is for but a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. The psalmist is declaring here that there is weeping in this life but there is a day coming when we will awake in glory and weeping and pain and suffering and trials will be no more. Oh remember, remember your trial is temporary. It's coming to an end. It doesn't last always. You the, the 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 point Peter's trying to make here is that so keep enduring. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. It's just a minute. It's temporary. Uh, trials. Peter's teaching us these lessons. Trials are sometimes necessary. They are temporary. But here's the deal: trials are also real. They're real. I hope as you listen to Peter teaching on trials, as he speaks of them being necessary and temporary, that I hope you don't hear him minimizing your trial. He's not minimizing it. Peter says he knows that these saints have been grieved by these various trials. He knows that they they are they are, they are affecting them, that they're painful. Brothers and sisters, the speed bumps and the potholes and the fiery darts are ordained, that are ordained by God, they really do sting. They hurt. If they didn't cause pain or discomfort, they wouldn't be trials. They wouldn't be difficult. We wouldn't call it suffering. Those Christians being terrorized by ISIS. They're facing real fears. They're being afflicted with real violence, pain. The tears and the turmoil we face in the midst of our trials are real tears. There's real anxiety there as we are going through and dealing with with the challenges and the struggles of life. We should never minimize our trials or minimize the trials of others. Paul didn't minimize his suffering. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. You hear Peter's, did you hear Paul here? Pouring out his heart to the Corinthian church. About the pain and the suffering that they have endured, he was in so much pain; and it was it was it was so uh, burdensome that they they despaired of even life itself. Doesn't it sound like minimizing trial. Or how about when he when he speaks in 1 Corinthians about being beaten and the 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 suffering and the persecution he is facing is shipwrecked and being beaten. Doesn't sound like he's minimizing his trial. But even still, think about the suffering of Jesus, the trials that he endured. He was spit upon. He was shamed, falsely accused, beaten, and tortured. This pain was the pain that Jesus Felt was real, His, the suffering he endured was real. He did it so that he could identify the, with the suffering that we endure. Yes, yes, Jesus is fully God. But he also is, was fully man. And so when he suffered, when he went through trial, when when he endured. It was real tears. It was real pain. It was real hurt. Real trials. So as you hear Peter teaching us here this morning about, about trials, do not hear Peter saying, suck it up. Suck it up. That, your trial doesn't really hurt. Like, like, the, like the parent who, who spanks their child and asks them, what are they crying for? Right? That's not what Peter is doing here. What Peter is trying to get these Christians to see is that yes, yes, their trials are real and painful. Yes, yes, they they hurt, but they are never, never without purpose. That's his point. That's the fourth lesson that your trials always have a purpose. It's it's accomplishing something. It's it's, it's accomplishing good for you. God sends these trials your way to test you, Ah, to, to refine you, to see if you possess genuine faith. In John 15, John calls God the vine dresser. And and the vine dresser in the garden is the one who prunes. And he he cuts the branches in order that more fruit might blossom. The dead ones, he cuts off the vine. That is the point Peter is making in verse 7 of our text. So that the tested genuineness of your faith More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God, God, with these trials, is testing your faith. He's refining it. We know gold. Gold is precious. It's valuable. But, But it's also can be placed in in, in the fire, and when, when it's placed in the fire, it enhances its qualities. The fire burns off what is not supposed to be there and brings out the true properties of the gold. Peter says, your faith is more precious than gold. It's more precious than that. And just like gold, when you are put through the Fiery trials, when you are put through the the, the furnace, you come out better. That which is hindering you from trusting God fully will be stripped away. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. The trial comes, brothers and sisters, to test your faith. To test your faith. If you are trusting in anything other than Christ, the fire will reveal it. Those who can't stand the heat, what do they do? They get out of the kitchen. And listen, that doesn't mean that the fire was too hot. It means that the fire was doing what it was supposed to do. Huh. You know, sometimes we get bent out of shape when someone uh, leaves the church and blames their, their circumstances uh, of their life for, for leaving the faith and not coming to church and, 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 and leaving God. And, and this, we don't that, that is a sad thing. We don't want that to happen. We pray that that doesn't happen. But have we ever thought that perhaps the Lord is turning up the heat in their life to see if faith really does exist? And the fire got turned up in their lives, and it did what it was supposed to do. There wasn't genuine faith there. Couldn't stand the heat. But but here is the encouraging part of that if faith exists in your heart, if you are trusting Christ, the heat won't be too much. You will be able to stand and stay in the, the kitchen. It, it will be, in fact, it will be just what you needed. It will be good for, it will be good for you. You are going to come out on the other side of that trial better. Your faith, your faith would have been fire-tested and approved. When you come through the other side of the trial, your genuine faith would have stood the test. The test. And here's the wonderful thing. God gives rewards for his test. And your reward for passing the test, Jesus, (laughs) more Jesus. (laughs) That's your reward, more of Jesus. Peter says in uh, 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the end of it all, you get to see Jesus. He is the reward for faith that withstands the trials. It's not, not earthly riches. It's not worldly accolades. Your reward is the light in Jesus. It is the day, it's the day, I hope, I hope it's the day that all Christians, that you, Christians, are longing for it's the day that the songwriter tells us in and "It is well with our soul" in that last stanza, and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the cloud and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Oh, we long for that day when we will get to see our reward face to face. Jesus. And that joy? That that is why you persevere through the trial. Because Jesus and his glory is on the other end of it. That is Paul's point in 2 Corinthians 4:17 when he calls our earthly afflictions light and momentary. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. How these afflictions prepare us to meet Jesus in all of his glory. And we will glory, as the songwriter says, in our Redeemer, whose faithfulness has, has rescued us. And guess what? No earthly glory. No earthly glory can compare. There, 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 there's, there's nothing, there's no accolade, there's no reward that you can receive on earth that, is going, that can compare with the glory that is going to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So my... My exhortation to you is to to hold on, is to to keep pressing on. The revelation of Jesus Christ is coming. These trials are temporary and are working for your good. You know, a a drive-through car wash can be pretty terrifying for a young child especially going through it for the first time. I know our kids were a little frightened going through car washes for the first time. Oh, it's, the, the loud, it's loud. The sounds are distinct, right? The water is hitting the windows. The, 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 the big brushes are banging against the, the car. It's dark in there. It can be extremely frightening and, and leave one unsettled. And and as a parent, you look at your children and they're they're, they're unsettled and they're crying and you say, hold on, we're, we're coming through it soon. We're, we're gonna we're gonna be through it soon. Just just hold on. But if you're you're a parent going through that car wash, you love it. <laughs> you've been through it many times, and so when when the When the uh, water starts to hit the window, when the big brushes start to bang against the car, you're not frightened. In fact, you don't have control of the wheel. (laughs) And you know that eventually you're going to come through and the car is going to be much better. Oh, here's the point. You and I don't just have to survive the trial. We don't just have to survive the trial. We don't just have to hang on and just kind of ease our way through. You and I can rejoice through the trial. We can experience joy in the midst of the trial. We can can hold on joyfully in the midst of the trial. That is Peter's point in the lesson. These things are happening to you. They are coming upon you for your good. So rejoice, like James says. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Oh, this is the joy. This is the joy that sustains us. This is the well that we, we go to. It's the well that doesn't change, that is always full, never runs out. Oh, there's enough for everyone. That's the well that we we go to the trials you are enduring are working for your good. They are preparing for you the salvation of your souls so you can rejoice always. No matter what the circumstance or the situation in our lives, you can rejoice always. You could do what Paul commands us to do in Philippians 4.4 but I see your faces. That's easier said than done. (laughs) You weren't with me last night when it hurt, when I couldn't stop crying. You weren't there when they were making fun of me because of the way I wanted to live my life contrary to how the world would have me. You weren't there in the hospital room when I saw my loved one give their last breath. How, how do you rejoice in the midst of all that? Peter answers that question for us. Verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know how you do it? You look with the eyes of faith. Those eyes that didn't see Jesus, but you still love him and you still believe in him. And what do you believe? Here's what you believe. You believe that Jesus died for you and that he has secured for you uh, a place in eternity and that it is yours, that it has been guarded for you by his power and that that inheritance awaits you. And that truth, it produces joy every time because you know what? You didn't deserve it. In fact, you really deserve those trials that you go through. But you know, God was gracious to me. And he saved me when I didn't deserve it. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to work for it. But he saved me. And there is an inheritance that awaits in heaven for us. So I can rejoice even in the midst of a difficult situation. Because I'm believing in Jesus. I'm trusting in him. I'm going to the well that never fades, that never changes. My inheritance. My salvation. And that joy, that joy, that well, it doesn't go away. (laughs) No matter what. No matter what trials come your way. So, Tomorrow morning when you wake up and the question meets you as your feet hit the floor. Where is my joy going to come from today? Oh, you answer. Oh, it's coming from my salvation in Jesus. My name is written in the book and whatever comes my way, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. Because I got a hope I've got an inheritance in heaven that awaits me. And the trials that I face this day are but temporary, and they are working for my good. Let's pray.